we're, uh, we're now going to focus on something else that Jesus is giving us from His Word. The book of Philippians is, it, it highlights a lot of gifts that Jesus gives to His people. We're going to take the summer to focus on those gifts using this part of the New Testament as a lens because the reality is these gifts have been disrupted for us over the past 14 months. Gifts like rest and joy and strength and today's focus, peace. Our peace of mind has been disrupted over the past year plus. Anxiety, constant news cycle, some of the news horrible, some of it just bad, right? But rarely the kind of thing that brought us more peace. And um, our peace with one another has been disrupted. Maybe too little time together and sometimes too much time together. (laughs) Disrupting peace. Our peace with God disrupted by what Martin Lloyd-Jones, a Welsh preacher, once called spiritual depression. And uh, we need to come to Jesus and, and listen to him as he renews that gift of peace for us. So today we're going to do that by uh, starting a new summer series on the book of Philippians. And we'll hear this morning a reading from Philippians chapter 1. We're going to hear that Jesus not only wants to give us peace, but how he wants to do it. Let's listen together. Thanks, Sam. The scripture reading this morning is from Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God and all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together before we dive more deeply into this part of the scriptures. Holy Spirit, we give thanks to you that the words we just heard Sam read were not Sam's words. They're not my words. They're not words of the Apostle Paul and his co-worker Timothy only. They are words that you gave to your people in this world. They are words for us today. They are words for people on other continents and in other centuries. They are your words, words from our Father, words on behalf of our Savior, words from you, the Holy Spirit, for our good. Lord, some of us are not ready to receive that gift because we're not certain that the supernatural is real and we think these are just human words. Expand our hearts 
and, and make us ready to believe something bigger than that. Some of us believe in the supernatural. We believe these are your words, but we're kind of distracted today. We're not ready to listen. Focus our hearts. Make us ready to receive all that you have for us, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Um, crossword puzzles may be on their way out, right? Um, they were kind of a newspaper-related thing at the height of their popularity. Uh, there's still words with friends and, and stuff like that, right? So you can play word games uh, even if you're not using paper. But if you could kind of imagine yourself sitting over the old version of crossword puzzle, New York Times, it's the Sunday edition, the real hard one, right? 27 down, 13 words. Uh, 13 letters, sorry, 27 down, 13 letters. It's a phrase, the clue is, catch-all email signature for people who are religious or wish to appear so. Oh, grace and peace, right? Yeah, grace and peace. We, we read verse 2 of Philippians chapter 1, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace Oh, that's what those three words are doing in the Bible, right? That's the problem they solve. When I can't work my crossword puzzle, when I just need three words to, to sort of sound like a religious person, I don't know what to say. Oh, great, problem solved, I know what to say now, grace and peace. Mildly religious without being offensively so, right? Great, that, that's why we need this phrase, right? No, the reason we need this phrase, the real problem that that phrase, grace and peace, is meant to solve is this. We live in a world where peace gets disrupted by all kinds of challenges all of the time. And we need a sort of peace that is secured by a power that can overcome all of those challenges. Grace and peace, good news, right? That phrase is a promise that God gives peace to us through Jesus. That Jesus is the mediator between us and God. He is the one who secures God's favor. That's what the word grace means. God's favor given to us as a gift. If you could look at the Greek word for grace, it's really similar to the Greek word for gift and giving right? Grace is a gift from God to us because of His favor, which we do not deserve, but He gives it to us because of Christ. And so through Christ, we get this gift of grace, and one of the key expressions of God's grace and favor is peace. It's good news. We need peace in every dimension of life, and because of Jesus, we have access to it. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the good news. Through Jesus, we receive peace from God. Here's the bad news. It's not an easy kind of peace. It's a peace that comes with some challenges built in. Let's start here. The very phrase itself, grace and peace brings with it the challenge of, of living in unity across cultural divisions. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Are you telling me that the word peace actually brings up the concept of division? Yes. It would be a little bit like going to a football stadium somewhere in the deep south, 
and um, it's game day and everybody's ready and they're all wearing the same color jerseys so they're kind of high-fiving each other and they're, they're saying the phrase, sick them, Tide. What? No, no, no. It's either sick them, dogs or roll tide. Pick one. And if somebody were to say, no, no, we're, we're a new kind of fan base doing a new kind of thing. And our greeting is putting together part of that one and part of that one and saying we are a new kind of culture where every time we greet each other, we're going to be reminding each other we're kind of a mixed family here. And that's what it was like to say grace and peace in the first century. Grace was the standard Greco-Roman greeting where it sounded a lot like it, right? So if you were a a non-Jewish person in the first century, this kind of sounds like how you would greet your neighbors walking down the street. But if you were a Jewish person in the first century, how'd you greet each other? Shalom, peace. So grace and peace, every time it's said, is a reminder that we got to do the hard work of loving people who are not like us. It's a reminder that for the Gentiles to see, hey, the Lord Jesus Christ is my Lord. I grew up calling Caesar my Lord. I grew up saying there is a power that will make the world right, and it's based on military might. And now I'm part of a new culture, a new family that's saying, sick them tied. I'm, I'm part of this new family that's saying, we don't play by those rules anymore. There is a new Lord, Jesus Christ. And, and I share with other worshipers of this Lord Jesus Christ the DNA of God the Father. And frankly, that DNA feels a little atheistic to me. Because if I grew up as a Greco-Roman thinker in the first century, I'm used to worshiping many, many gods and goddesses. And now I'm in a family that's saying there's only one God. That's not real comfortable for me culturally. I got to do a lot of hard work every time we get together. And what if I'm Jewish? And I read verse 2, and it says, grace to you and peace from whom? Well, if I'm Jewish, I want it to say one word, from God, period. But there's an and here, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. There's this new kind of theology that says God showed up on this planet in the form of his son, Jesus. And that frankly feels a little bit to me as a first century Jewish person coming to faith in Christ. It feels too polytheistic. It feels, it kind of smells like the Gentiles. So every time we get together, we're greeting one another by saying grace and peace with this reminder, sick them tied. We are not comfortable in either one of those cultures. We are creating this new community where we got to learn that this challenge of loving one another across boundaries and barriers. Good news, we got peace through Christ. The hard side of that good news is, is a peace that comes with that kind of challenge. Does it come with other challenges? Well, actually it does. It comes with the challenge of having to let go of some of our financial resources. Right, if, if you listen carefully, the Apostle Paul in verse five, thanks God for these Philippian Christians because of their partnership in the gospel. 
Well, the word partnership implies a lot of things, but one of the things it implies is we have a shared goal and we're willing to invest together in it. That, that you guys are, Paul is thanking the Philippians, as comes more clear in chapter two and chapter four of this short letter, for giving money so that he and others can preach about Jesus in other cities, so that more uncomfortable communities of grace and peace can be com- uh, created and strengthened throughout the Mediterranean basin and one day even beyond to all nations. So one of the challenges we get to is, hey, hang on, wouldn't it be easier just to love other people who are just like me? Why, why do I want to be part of this uncomfortable community where we're having to love one another across these barriers. Um, Wouldn't it be easier just to be selfish and keep all my money for myself? (laughs) Why would I wanna share it with other people? Where will I get the strength, the power to become a person who is so delighted in this uncomfortable community that I'm willing to give generously to promote its health around the whole world? The peace that Jesus gives us comes with some of those challenges. Let's mention one last challenge that it comes with. It comes with the challenge of learning how to love people in very complex circumstances. How do we know that? Let's let's read verse 9 again of Philippians chapter 1. It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Why? Verse 10, so that you may approve what is excellent. The word for approve could also be translated discern. You've got multiple options. You've got, you've got to discern which one is best and approve the best way forward. Learning to love in a way that where there are multiple options and, and you've got to find the best one so that you may approve what is excellent, what is superior. Some translations say what is best. There are lots of different ways to love one another. Let's discern which is the superior one, which is the best one, right? This this is language that implies that we've signed up for something that involves complexity. It's not always easy to know how to love people. It's not always easy to know how to love people who share our faith in Christ. And so we're praying here that God would make our love abound so much, overflow so much that even when it's complex and it may not be easy to find the best way to love each other, we're willing to do the hard work. It's a kind of community where we have grace and peace with each other but that peace still comes with the challenge of complexity and and having to do the hard work of figuring out how to love each other when it's not self-evident. Oh, there's also this little detail in in, uh, verse seven. Uh, You've signed up when you follow Jesus for a kind of peace that means you might get thrown in prison and put on trial, right? I have very deep feelings for you, Paul says to these Christians in Philippi. I hold you in my heart. We're all partakers together of grace, and that grace includes, oh, also imprisonment and being put on trial for the defense of the gospel. 
Why? Because we're joined to Christ later in chapter 1. Paul is going to write, it has been granted, grace vocabulary again, given to you for the sake of Christ that you should not only believe in Him but also suffer for His sake and enter into the same conflict that Paul himself is having over here in Rome in prison. So when you follow Jesus, He gives you peace. But it's a peace that comes with these challenges, loving one another in complex situations, loving one another across these cultural boundaries that could be barriers, loving one another by sacrificial giving, loving one another by signing up for suffering, exposing ourselves to just being always out of step with the world around us. Maybe not so out of step that you get thrown in prison like the Apostle Paul did. But always knowing that we've signed up for that because we've signed up to be close to Jesus. So there's good news. We have peace through Jesus from God our Father. There's bad news. That peace comes with some challenges. And here's some better news. (laughs) The better news is... The same Jesus through whom we get peace also gives us power to meet all those challenges. Where will I find the strength to become a sacrificial, generous person? Where where would I get the motive, the power to sign up for a relationship that keeps me constantly out of step with the world around me so that I may even be called to suffer, imprisonment, trial, all the while being part of this uncomfortable community with people who aren't like me and yet wanting every day to love them more and more. Where does that come from? It comes from Jesus. It comes from knowing Jesus. That power to engage that kind of peace comes from knowing Jesus. How do we know that? Let's read carefully. Verse 9. The Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, a messenger of Jesus himself, is praying. And he prays that the love of Christians would abound more and more with knowledge. Okay, what kind of knowledge? Well, it's the kind of knowledge that's going to lead to overflowing love, love that abounds more and more. It's the kind of knowledge that's going to lead to the ability to discern and approve what is the best way to love people. That's what verse 10 goes on to say. It's the kind of knowledge that's going to enable us to be pure and blameless for the day when Christ returns. That's what the second half of verse 10 says. In other words, this is a kind of knowledge that has the power not just to inform but transform. There are a couple of times in the book of Philippians where the word know, knowledge, knowing, is used just about knowing information. The word Knowing can mean that in the book of Philippians. There are a couple of times in the book of Philippians where this vocabulary of knowing and knowledge is used to describe knowing something about someone else's character. 
Will it help me to overflow with love if I know more about your character? Probably not. But there are a couple of times in the book of Philippians in chapter 3 where this vocabulary of knowing is used to describe the kind of knowledge that really can transform us. Chapter 3, verse 8 says this, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Verse 10 says, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection so that I may share his sufferings and become like him in his death so that by any means possible I can attain to the resurrection from the dead. Knowing Christ is the kind of knowledge that we're praying for here in chapter 1 verse 9. Knowing Christ is what will cause us to abound more and more in love. Knowing Christ is what will give us better discernment so that we can approve what is the best way, the most excellent way, the superior way to love people. Knowing Christ is what will enable us to be pure and blameless at the day of his coming. Knowing information might be helpful along the way, but knowing Christ is the key to overcoming all these challenges to experiencing the peace that he gives us. Why? Because when we know Christ, we become partners in the gospel. Verse 5, if you're a Christian, you have become a partner in the gospel. Paul says, I thank God because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. You have become a partner with Jesus in his crucifixion. The gospel is basically a two-part story, crucifixion and resurrection. The good news that Christ died for us, the good news that Christ has risen for us. If you are a partner in the gospel, you are a partner in the crucifixion of Jesus. That means you have signed up for all those challenges we talked about earlier. Learning how to love people more and more in hard circumstances and situations. You are a partner in the crucifixion. Suffering, maybe imprisonment, maybe trial for the defense of the gospel, always somewhat out of step with the world that you're in because you have signed up to be a partner with Christ in his crucifixion. You have signed up to love in, in, in a circumstance, a community that's not comfortable. <laughs> we are partners with Christ in his crucifixion, but here is that better news. We are partners with Christ in his resurrection, and that means power. That means power to overcome all these challenges that disrupt our peace with God, with one another, our peace of mind. We are partners with Christ in his resurrection. My dad owned a farm supply and hardware store when I was in high school. I learned a lot there, um, tons of lessons. I'd love to write a book one day, you know, sort of what I, what I learned behind the counter of the feed store. Uh, learned a lot of people skills because you have to interact with a whole wide variety of people. There was a predictable cycle that would happen every year uh, at my dad's store. So we would, you know, we catered to uh, farmers who had, you know, thousands of acre farms and we catered to, uh, you know, sort of gardeners, you know, with a backyard garden, homeowners. 
And so we had like, you know, grass seed coming in these 50-pound bags. Now, grass seed is not very heavy. A 50-pound bag of grass seed is like this big, right? It's this big around, it's this long, it's this tall, and it weighs 50 pounds. And um, we would, you know, get like 100 of those at a time. So we got 5,000 pounds of grass seed sitting in the back uh, storehouse. And, um, but still, every fall, we would have a string of parents, moms and dads, showing up saying, you know what, I need some grass seed. We're like, you want 50 pounds? 100, 150, 200, how much you want? No, 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 I don't need much. This is for a science fair project, <laughs> right? It's science fair time. And we're doing that classic experiment of, you know, what grows better grass watered with Tabasco sauce or hot chocolate? Um, or does grass grow better in a closet or outside in the sun? Um, that kind like, and we're gonna be putting it in tiny little cups. So I need the smallest amount of grass seed you can sell me. And we're like, here's the tiniest little paper bag we have. We will drop a few seeds in it and you just take it for free because it's not even worth the time of ringing it up on the cash register. And it doesn't weigh enough to even make a dent on the scale when we put it there. Like we've got tons, literally tons of this stuff and you're asking for 30 grass seeds. Do you ever think God is like that parent? He wants you to have some grace and some power in your life, but he's gonna skimp on it. He's just, all he wants is the minimum amount possible. Like he doesn't really want your love to abound more and more. He just wants you to have enough love to not kill each other. He doesn't really wanna create this beautiful community of people who aren't like one another. He just wants us to talk about it, not actually have the power to do it. He's not like that at all. If God showed up, he would say, I want it all. Put every bag of, put every, every bag you've got in the back of my Jesus mobile because my son is doing a project. He is building a church and we're not gonna skimp. We're gonna give everything that is needed. And so you read this language and listen to how it just cascades through it, right? In every prayer for all of you, I am praying I am praying that the one who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. He won't skip. He's going to do everything necessary to make sure that the faith you first put in Jesus, whether you were 3 or 13 or 23 or 33 or 93, perseveres to the end. Why? Why? <laughs> Well, because Christ is at work in you. And then we get to verse 9 in this language of abundance. I'm praying that your love may abound a little bit, kind of, maybe, no, abound, overflow, more. Is that enough? Just one more? No, more and more. God wants you to have the power to love people more tomorrow than you do today. And he has made you a partner in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he is not skimping on that power. He's not going to give you a little bit of discernment. Verse 9 says, all discernment. 
so that I can make a little bit of progress in, the, in my life as a follower of Jesus? No, so that you can be pure and blameless. Verse 11 starts with this word about abundance. Filled, filled, filled. Take that bag and squeeze as much grass seed as you can into it. God wants us to have all the power we need to grow in Christ. So he has made us partners in the resurrection of Jesus. Therefore, we can be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. God doesn't set us a hard task and then give us a little bit of what we need to make some progress toward it. He makes us partners in the resurrection of his son so that we can have all the power we need to grow in love, to grow in joy, to grow in strength, to grow in peace with him and with one another. Partnership can lead to peace. Trisha is not here this morning. Abby isn't either. Um, they drove yesterday, making their way toward Chicago. Abby's doing a two-month internship in Chicago this summer. Um, we drive older cars in our family. It gives Patrick something to do. And um, are we really comfortable with, with uh, Abby driving all that way by herself, going to a city that we know very little about and a part of that city that we know nothing about? Uh, Trisha's going to drive with her. I slept in peace last night. Was I worried about Abby? No. Why? I have a partnership with Trisha. It's more than a partnership, right? <laughs> it's a union. But because we share that together, I, I can rest at peace. Abby's going to be fine on the road yesterday and today. Trisha's with her. And when she gets to Chicago, is she going to be okay once Trisha gets on the plane and flies back down here tonight? Yeah, why? She's going to work with Sunshine Gospel Mission. Becca Heck and Steve Yates have partnered with that mission and many of our families over the years through our student ministry, IDX. Knowing that there's a partnership between our church and that ministry gives us peace. We don't have to know everything about the ministry. We don't have to know everything about that part of Chicago. We don't have to know everything about what they do. There's a partnership we have here at Intel that makes us trust that ministry because so many of you and your children have partnered with it over the years. And besides, these are our brothers and sisters in Jesus running this ministry. The partnership we have together in Christ gives us peace, even as there are many, many unknowns. We can rest and enjoy that peace because of that relationship, that partnership. That's what Jesus is saying to us today. Will you be my partner in crucifixion? It will be hard. If you're signing up to follow me in a hard world, it will be hard, but you will also be my partner in resurrection power and glory. Will you be my partner in that too? 
And with that comes peace. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for your willingness to partner with people like us. Um, in our world and also in the first century world, when people heard that word partnership, they would often think of business partnerships where you'd expect the other partner to have some resources to offer. But you come to us knowing that we don't have anything to offer that you didn't already give us. <laughs> Thank you for your grace and kindness to partner with us. And that partnership comes with power, the power to grow and abound and love more and more. The power that comes with knowing that the God who began a good work in us on the first day we trusted you will continue that good work. He won't leave us. He won't abandon us. He won't go halfway. He won't skimp. He will give us all that we need so that we can persevere in our faith in you and our love for you and each other and our service to our neighbors and world, not because we are good partners, not because we bring resources, but because you have secured for us grace and peace. Amen.